You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. I'm with Lars Neuplatten from the Oslo Sports Trauma Research Centre and the Department of Sports Medicine at the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences. He has a particular interest in bone health and has actually published in the New England Journal and BMJ on clinical trials relating to bone. So a great expert on that. And he also works with the ski team in Norway. So tremendous clinician scientist. And he has some expert thoughts on the role of NSAIDs and COX-2 inhibitors. Thanks for joining this podcast, Lars. Thank you very much. It's just a pleasure. Tell us how you understand the basic science of NSAIDs working for the clinicians. What are the key issues that clinicians need to remember? Well, I think that the key um, issues is that uh, <clears throat> when you get an injury in uh, our body, there's usually an inflammatory phase first. So uh, reducing inflammation first may lead to uh, a poorer healing uh, of the injury later on. Um, however, for a whole long time this is important. We do not really know, but uh, probably during the first few days, uh, giving uh, an enzyme will uh, impair later healing. So um, that's sort of the main thing I think that the clinicians uh, should know. So um, uh, I think delaying the enzymes is uh, maybe one way to uh, anyway be able to use them because they are excellent painkillers, as uh, most of us uh, knows. Okay. And in terms of your work with um, factory healing, you've really got some strong thoughts that they're, they're powerful drugs. Yes, they are powerful uh, drugs, and here in Oslo, uh, uh, I think that the inhibitory effect on uh, bone healing started here by a couple of doctors uh, in the early 1970s with indomethacin, uh, and uh, we have sort of followed in their tracks, and uh, I think we were among the first to uh, then uh, study the COX-2 inhibitors when they came around uh, 10 years ago, and uh, as we know, there are two COX uh, uh, enzymes, so COX-1, which is sort of the constitutive one, and the inducible COX-2. Um, somebody thought that the COX-2 inhibitors should be better for bone healing than uh, giving a combined COX-1, COX-2 inhibitor. But as it seems, uh, giving then a COX-2, which then uh, uh, is more uh, selective for the inducible uh, uh, enzyme, may have a, a worse effect uh, early on in, for instance, fracture healing. So when you're working with ski athletes who unfortunately do have uh, fractures, you make a point to keep away from COX inhibitors during their whole recovery? No, not necessarily. Uh, and I, I think that one study we sort of should do is to see uh, how long we can delay it and uh, not have any uh, impairment of, for instance, fracture healing. Um, so uh, if we need it later on, uh, after sort of the early inflammatory phase, which for a fracture healing is said to be around one week, well, then I think that uh, we can use it. Uh, for my patients, uh, I often try to wait uh, until the patients eventually are leaving the hospital. And if they then uh, need more than uh, the ordinary paracetamol, uh, acetaminophen, 
uh, I may then give them a COX inhibitor uh, to uh, get them all off the opioids before they leave. Uh, so I think it's, uh, but but the the evidence for when we can sort of introduce them uh, as a painkiller uh, is not very strong. So that's uh, that's an opinion based upon uh, how important the early inflammatory phase is for later tissue healing. Lars, there are soccer data from Philip Scholl and others that athletes are taking NSAIDs routinely. Do you in Norway try to educate the athletes about possible risks with these drugs and have them acknowledge that they're not trivial? Yes, uh, I think it's a very good point because, I mean, that athletes, they get overuse injuries, uh, at least the best ones or uh, even the next best ones, they get the overuse injuries all the time. They are then prone to be put on, uh, on NSAIDs. And the problem is then to differentiate between overuse injuries of the soft tissues and overuse uh, injuries of the bone, which is maybe the start of stress fractures. And if they then get repetitively uh, COX inhibitors when they get a new small injury to their bone, this may then impair healing and may be one way that uh, uh, what is a small bone injury becomes a clinical fracture for, uh, as a type of stress fracture. I think also this uh, may uh, be the same for other, other uh, tissues of the uh, human body. Um, we, we may think that ligaments uh, and tendons are also rupturing after repetitive uh, stress, uh, where they may also have been given insights. But I think the evidence for this is poorer than for, uh, for bone. So I think that... Uh, uh, athletes at the top level, which typically get a lot of uh, insights, as I think it was discovered during the World Championship in South Africa in uh, football, uh, they may be then uh, prone to get uh, get stress injuries, stress fractures, yes. Now, what about the use for treating and preventing myositis ossificans, Lars? Well, of course, uh, one reason why the enzymes is functioning is that uh, they are uh, uh, reducing the bone formation. Uh, for this reason, they have been used, for instance, uh, in uh, preventing heterotopic ossification when we implant uh, hip replacements. Uh, and if we knew which uh, athletes were going to get uh, myositis ossificans, it would be correct to give them an enzyme, I think. I think the problem is that we are not very good in uh, picking out the, those athletes that are going to get uh, myositis ossificans. Uh, at least I'm not aware of, of, of the things we should look for. So that's a problem when using them there. I know that when we then, in the few instances, we get a myositis ossificans in an athlete, which is, of course, very detrimental, we think that we should have better given them an enzyme very early on. Uh, so definitely there is places uh, for, for NSAIDs, and I, I, I don't say that uh, it's drugs that should be totally abandoned. Now, you're a bone expert, Lars, but you're also a sports physician, and you have thought about corticosteroids and potentially PRP. So let's just go there briefly as we come towards the end of this podcast. Your thoughts on the use of corticosteroids in sports medicine in athletes? Well, uh, I have personally uh, not been using uh, so much corticosteroids uh, uh, because that's uh, other brands of sports medicine than orthopedic surgeons, I think, who have been using most. But from 
From a fracture healing uh, point, it seems that the corticosteroids may be less detrimental than the enzymes. Um, so uh, in cases where you really need uh, to, to do something for an athlete uh, with inflammation, uh, it may be that corticosteroids are better than, uh, than the enzymes. They can also be given locally with very uh, powerful effect. I know that this may sound very strange because, I mean, corticosteroids are even stronger uh, anti-inflammatories than the enzymes, but it may be the composition and how they uh, function in uh, reducing the different prostaglandins which, in, in, uh, which, uh, which is uh, functioning here. There are four receptors uh, for PGE2, which is a bone-active uh, prostaglandin, and it seems to be a dose effect which uh, uh, dictates whether it is uh, uh, the, a dose effect in reduction of the prostaglandin which dictates whether there will be a reduced bone formation. So um, at the present time, uh, time, I'm personally somewhat more positive towards the corticosteroids, but it's on a weak scientific basis, uh, I must say. And just to be clear, we're talking about using corticosteroids there for some soft tissue injury while bone is healing and I, I just want to make sure the listeners don't think you're talking about corticosteroid use for the bone injury itself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And let's finish with PRP, a very hot topic as you know um, and as we debated at the ISC meeting in Oslo and the next one of those meetings is in Stockholm in 2013 for our listeners. But um, where do you think we're at with PRP for soft tissue injuries and muscle repairs? At the present time, I think the evidence is uh, is pretty weak. I know that the IOC meeting, it was a quite, uh, what should we say, fierce debate uh, between the ones who are proponents and the ones who are opponents uh, uh, for it. And I think we need much more uh, evidence. Personally, I have been rather skeptical to PRP since I read the first animal studies. Um, there were some animal studies on bone healing, for instance, by Shell Söbal in Denmark, which didn't find any effect of PRP. And usually it's so that uh, uh, a thing which is effective in uh, animals may not necessarily be effective in humans. And the opposite is very rare, I think, that something is not effective in animals but effective in humans. Uh, but there are some studies which show a weak effect of PRP, but, I mean, it must be a terrible uh, or a very big placebo effect in, in uh, the PRP uh, treatment. Uh, so uh, I would say that at the present time the evidence is rather weak for, uh, for PRP. Thanks, Lars. Thanks so much for making time today. It's fantastic to get those comments on the BJSM podcast and all the best with your ongoing research. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.